0: Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Anytime there is a new beginning, anytime there is something that God is leading us into, like a new beginning, it really involves an ending of some sort. You know, we've been in the Old Testament book of Ezra, and when God moved the hearts of his people, the Israelites, it required them to leave. To leave where? To leave Babylon. A new beginning always requires some kind of ending, some kind of leaving. And even earlier, as I had mentioned the news about, you know, Nathan and Emily leaving, I don't like that change. But I am trusting that God has a new beginning for them, a new beginning for us. And because new beginnings, they always remind us of a central truth of the character of God, and that is this. If God is leading, then God will provide for us along the way. And today what I want to do is I want to give you a message, a message entitled Lessons Learned as you rebuild in your life as we flip calendars and we look at 2024, this is kind of the month of self-improvement and thinking, God, what do you want to rebuild in me? And as we rebuild collectively together as a church family, we need to ask ourselves, what are some lessons that we can draw out of Ezra chapter 1 and 2 as we look at the nation of Israel? And just like some of you, maybe, how many of you, by a quick show of hands, you've ever remodeled or renovated a room or something in your house? Anybody? Yeah, And maybe some of you, you've built a new house. Maybe it was a dream house that you moved into. And in the same way, as God is leading and building our lives, he's always up to some fresh designs, new ways, new shapes. He wants to add on additions, and he wants to build our lives into his dream home such that his presence can reside in us and we can fulfill his plans and his purposes in our world. And for those approximately 50,000 Israelites, it was going to take an enormous amount of faith and courage and really sacrifice in order to rebuild what God had called them to rebuild back in Jerusalem. And that was his house. That was his temple. It's where the people of God had worship. But can I state the obvious? As they were led to do some difficult things, we also are led to do some difficult things. But difficult things always require change. And how do we like change? Most of us don't like change. We like our routines. Why? Because our routines allow us to have a sense of safety and security. Most of us don't like change because, you know what, we feel threatened by the things that are unknown, uncertain, unexplainable. We like our routines. So, If you're going to rebuild, if we are going to rebuild, it is God who's going to do it. We're going to need God to fulfill it. It's going to require a new level of faith and courage and sacrifice on our part, but God wants to take you to a new level. He wants to take you to a new place, a a new build, if you will, inside of the interior of your heart and your mind as you seek him. But can I tell you, that if you do the build by yourself and it's successful, then really you didn't need God. But for the kind of rebuild that I'm talking about, the kind of rebuild that the book of Ezra outlines, these are 50,000 people who are gonna go some 900 miles out of captivity back to Jerusalem to build God's temple. They were going to need God. And friends, if you're going to do a God-sized kind of rebuild, you're going to need God. If you can do it on your own, then you don't need God. But it takes faith and courage and sacrifice to listen, to hear, and to act upon what God is asking you to do and what he is asking us to do. But know this. Before we dive into the three lessons learned from the book of Ezra, here's the bottom line for you and me today. Where God guides, God provides. Always. Where God guides, God provides. God provided a proclamation from a pagan king, and here's what the proclamation said. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 2, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Here's the proclamation. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea, in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Now, friends, there is absolutely no explanation while this pagan Persian king named Cyrus would release a captive people who he had just conquered, he had just conquered the Babylonians, why would he release a captured people, the Israelites, to return to their homeland to rebuild a city and a temple apart from God? God was in it. God was guiding them. But it begs the question, would God provide? Answer, verse 4. It's what the scripture says. Cyrus makes this proclamation, he says, in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them silver and gold with goods and livestock with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. What Cyrus is saying to the hundreds of thousands of Jews who are residing there in Babylon, he is saying, guess what, you're not going with the 50,000 We need you to step up and give financially to support the rebuild project back in Jerusalem. And you know what? God's people did. God's people did. Verse 6. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts. In addition, here's a key phrase, to all the free will offerings. Now, here's the first lesson learned that we can pull from Ezra chapter 1 and two. First, God's people made financial contributions based on God's provision. God's people made financial contribution based on God's provision. I want you to uh, take note of the last term there in verse 6, free will offerings. Now, let me give you some biblical instruction when it comes to giving. This applied in the Old Testament and applies in the New Testament. There are two distinct forms of giving when it comes to the Bible. Here they are. Here's the first distinct form of giving when it comes to the Bible. It's the giving of the tithe. 10%, 10%. This is the tithe. This is what God established and required of his people in the Old Testament. And what Jesus affirms in the New Testament, you can see Matthew 23, 23. It still applies to us today. This is what God requires of his people. It's sort of like, um, it's similar to like taxes, right? This is the time of year when your employer is issuing your W-2s. And whether you go to your tax person, you kind of calculate and figure out how much you owe the government, it's required for you to pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, the government isn't gonna say, oh, oh, well, they had a tough year. It's okay. No, no. It's a requirement. In the same way, God says to his people, both in Ezra and in the New Testament and today, he says, hey, listen, here's the standard. If you want to be my follower, if you truly want to bring all of your life under the lordship of who I am, then you need to surrender and you need to say, I'm going to honor you with the giving of the tithe. Now, why did the people of God do this in Ezra's time? Well, because they had a rebuilding project. They wanted to rebuild his temple. They wanted to rebuild their city. Why? Because God had a vision for his people in the Old Testament to put his life on display for all the surrounding nations such that they would know the one true living God. And you remember our vision last week? Our vision is simply this, to put the life of Jesus, his way of life, displayed in our lives here in the Fox Valley. Why? Why? because we want to accomplish our mission, which is very simple. Two words, make disciples. We want to make disciples. And quite frankly, it takes money to make disciples. And so that's why God, in his infinite wisdom, laid out a plan for his people to make sure that the first distinct form of giving always centered around the tithe. Now, the second form of giving is known as a free will offering. And we read this earlier in verse six. The Israelites, they gave free will offerings. What's a free will offering? Well, it's out of your own free will. A free will offering is above and beyond a tithe. So let me give you an example of a free will offering. Several years ago, we did a project here at our church. It was called Next. It was called Next. Everybody say Next. We did Next together, okay? And because of your generosity, your free will offerings above and beyond the tithe, above and beyond our normal operating budget, you raised, we raised about a million dollars together. Now, Those monies went toward our lower level to redesign, to renovate our lower level so that our student ministry, both our middle school and high school students, had their own dedicated space so that their hearts could be moved by God under the reading and the teaching of God's word and community and fun and all the stuff that students do. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jake, our middle school pastor, was telling me, he's like, man, Adam, I'm telling you, our middle school students are so hungry for God's word. I'm like, hey, that's pretty incredible, Jake. And I thought to myself, because Jake doesn't really know all the history and all the everything that went into next, but we do. Because God, he was guiding us to do that. And then God, what did he do? He provided for those resources. It was out of a free will Offering and now our student ministry, which was once a mobile ministry, has its own space for our students to continue to learn God's word. That happens why because it has good leadership. Pastor Jake is teaching God's word, he's building on the foundation that was laid in prior youth pastors. But also, our students have a space, so that is an example of a free will offering. So, for the Israelites, they gave to their ability. Now, for some of us, for us to give 10% a tithe, that would be a major stretch for us. We'd say, man, I don't know, Adam. Man, I, wow, I'd really have to trust God. Or you would say, my heart's not there yet. I'm just not there yet. And I completely understand. For some of you, to give of a tithe is just your normal, standard operating practice. That's not a real stretch. Because if you were to look at your finances, really, the other 90% would allow you to live very comfortably such that the tithe is not a real sacrifice for you. So here's the message for us today. Wherever you are, just like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are called to honor God. We're called to honor God with the provision that he has provided for us and the resources that he placed in our hands. Honor him with the tithe, and then as God gives you the ability and places the desire for you to offer free will offerings, uh, then you can do that. Now, now, I realize, I realize, I get it, okay? Everybody say, I get it. I get it. I get it. I realize that everybody is on a giving journey. I get it. I get it. I get that every person is unique when it comes to giving, when it comes to even having conversations about finances, money, and church, and so I I understand, but one of my primary responsibilities as a shepherd and the teacher of this community is to tell you the truth of God's word, to disciple you, to lead us into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so a part of that relationship is when it comes to our finances. And a resource that I would point you toward is our website, pathwayschurch.us forward slash give. It provides a pathway for you to understand giving. It gives you some useful information about our practices as a church. And I think it'd be really helpful if you're serious-minded about following Jesus Christ. Now, let me share with you some words from from the prophet Malachi. This is God speaking through Malachi. Malachi 3.8 says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Uh, you ask how. How do you rob me? Well, you're robbing. How are we robbing you? The answer in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, this is what God says, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that so there might be food in my house house. God goes on to say in Malachi chapter 3, hey, would you test me in this? The reason that God says test me in this is because he knows that the giving muscle, our giving muscle, is one of the hardest muscles to develop when we seek to follow God. It really is. It's difficult. I mean, Jesus wasn't lying in the New Testament when he said, hey, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon or money. you you can't serve it. It takes practice. It takes a discipline. It takes a heart's desire to say, God, I'm going to honor you in this area. Now, this wasn't the first time that God provided for his people. It wasn't. In fact, if you remember earlier in the Old Testament, God raised up Moses, the great deliverer, to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. They were going to go on a little road trip, 40-year road trip in the desert. Remember that? And so, Here's what God did. He, uh, as the Israelites were grabbing all their belongings and getting ready to head out after all the plagues, God did this. Exodus twelve thirty five. The Israelites did as Moses instructed, and catch this. They asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. It was like they got ready to leave Egypt. I know some of you have heard this Bible story and you didn't hear this part. You didn't hear of God's provision. But this is so radical. It's almost like Moses and all, they all got the Penske trucks and all the U-Hauls. They all backed them up and they said to the Egyptians, hey, guys, we need some financial help. And the Egyptians were like, okay, here. That's crazy but that's the truth of who God is, where God, God's God, provides. The same thing he did later on in Ezra's time, some 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 500 years before the birth of Christ. Check this next verse out. This is what happened. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out all the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar, the, um, the Babylonian king, had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the temple of of his God. So when the Babylonians destroyed God's temple some seven years earlier, they took all the belongings out of the temple of God in Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. Now Cyrus had come and he had overthrown Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And so Cyrus said this, hey, why don't you get all those articles out? Get all that stuff out and bring it here. And here's the list of those articles. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Shesbazar, you try that one, brought all these along with the exiles when they came from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, Cyrus takes all of those treasures, and he says, here. You take all this stuff to the 50,000 Jews, along with all the other Jews who had given free will offerings, and then they are going to make a 900 mile trek back to Jerusalem. Now, <laughs> when was the last time you knew a national leader giving treasures away to a, cap- to a captive people to build their homeland? Doesn't happen, does it? Well, until we understand who God is, because when God guides, God provides. But financial giving wasn't the only lesson that we learn here in this rebuilding story. That's just one component. The second lesson, if you have a Bible, go to chapter 2 and look at verse 70. Here's what Scripture reads. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. So Ezra lists out some different roles of people. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants, they settle in the towns. If you read earlier in the book, or in the uh, chapter 2 there, it lists out other roles, other jobs, if you will. They're stonemasons and carpenters. They're there people who are doing all kinds of things when it comes to the rebuilding of the temple. What, what, what does this tell us? Well, it provides us our second lesson. God's people use their skills and abilities based on God's giving. See, the rebuilding of the temple wouldn't just require money. It would require people who were skilled and gifted in certain trades. In other words, everybody had a role to play in this corporate rebuild. And you know what? The same is true for us today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have gifts and abilities. You have things inside of you. You have spiritual gifts. You have passions. You have desires. Some of you, you love to pray, and you're part of our prayer ministry. Some of our students, I love watching our middle school students, they're running around with cameras that are probably thousands of dollars. And I think to myself, oh, Lord, don't drop that. But you know what? I would rather them have thousands of dollars in their hands in the house of God, learning how to develop passion and grow and give back to the community of faith, rather than hanging out on Friday night till 3 a.m., having thousands of dollars because they have some illegal something going on that we don't even know about. Amen? Right? Right? I would rather have people who, who, who pray and who use cameras and who use guitars and, and who talk and welcome people and make coffee and hold babies and care and say, I want to help here. I have this idea or I just want to serve. I want to get engaged. Friends, if you are not engaged in what God is doing, you're missing out. I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. The church is not its not like going to the Green Bay Packers football game. It's not watching the players on the field who are in desperate need of rest and refreshment and all the people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise and activity watching people in need of, of rest and refreshment. We're all meant to be on the field doing this together. You say, well, Adam, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not, no, you are, friend. Because the moment you met Jesus is the moment that God says, I can use you. In fact, let's get this personal. We've been in this series in week one. You remember the, the question was, God, what do you want to rebuild in my life? Now, you've been fasting. You've been thinking about that question. And maybe God is saying that, like, I want to rebuild this inside of you. If you're like me, one of the first things you probably thought was like, Who do I know that's good at that? Why? Because if they're good at that, you want to go to school on them and say, hey, can I buy a cup of coffee? Can we talk? Like, you do that really well. I could really learn from you, right? Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus is looking down at planet Earth and he's saying, who's really good at that? And he thinks of you. Hey, you know that... That guy down there in Appleton, Wisconsin, he's really good at that. I think he could help so-and-so if the guy in Appleton, Wisconsin was willing and open and listening. We were fasting a couple weeks ago as a church in one of the four areas that we had prayed about and were fasting about as servant leaders. And last week, I landed the message and I said, here's my challenge to you. If you... If you feel called to serve, to get engaged, to get out of the stands and onto the field, so to speak, then I'd love for you to scan this QR code and engage with us. Our staff, you remember, said, man, we need about 50 volunteers. And we were kind of like, you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to land. And we put this QR code. Do we have the QR code? Put the QR code on the screen. And do you know how many individuals scanned? There were 62 individuals last weekend who scanned that QR code. Isn't that amazing? 62. Yeah. Now, only 19 filled out the form, okay? <laughs> my, my point is, uh, if you want to serve, if you want to get engaged, if you want to try it, if, hey, scan the QR code... Talk to somebody out connect. Help us rebuild and continue to do God's work here in and through Pathways Church. So first two lessons, God's people, uh, they were about stepping up and making financial contributions. The second lesson that we learned, they were all about using their gifts and their abilities. They, they, they wanted to make some margin in order to, to invest and to get engaged in the rebuilding project. And here's the third lesson that we learned. my favorite lesson. God's people experienced his love and his best as they went to rebuild. God loves you, and he knows what's best for you. See, as we're going to see in the book of Ezra, this is really important. Beyond just rebuilding a structure a temple or a city or doing the miraculous by allowing a pagan king to sign a proclamation for 50,000 Jews to come back and to rebuild and reacquaint themselves with the faithfulness of God. Beyond just building a temple, God wants to build a people. He wants to build the community of faith. God just uses all kinds of ways to build our faith and our trust and our dependence in him. In fact, I would suggest to you, uh, coming off this re-entry, that God wants to use the last chapter and season of our church to build his best and his next inside of us as a people of faith. As the people will say, you know what? Hey, I know there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of questions. We're trying to figure this out. But you know what? We're going to have faith. We're going to have courage. And we're going to sacrifice and trust God together. He's trying to build your life. He wants to get a hold of your life. Listen, friend, you're not here by accident today. God has greater desires for you than you have desires for yourself. His desires for your life are better than your own desires for your life. But can I share a hard truth with you? In order for you to know his desires, you have to die to some of your own desires. You say, ooh, like which ones, Adam? I don't know. That's for you to figure out. I know which ones I got to die to. Do you? Well, how do I start that, Adam? Adam? You know how you start that? Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some of us, we take that verse out of context and you say, oh man, I get the desires of my heart. Woo, sign me up for this Christianity thing. I got the board out. We almost think it was like March Madness. Okay, I got this desire and this desire. What desire is gonna win out? I got the final four, it's down to one. That's the desire I want. God, God says, no, you missed the first part of the verse. Delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what happens when you delight yourself in God? You know what he does? He aligns your desires with his desires such that your desires become his desire. Remember week one, there was a guy by the name of Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah's job title? Anybody know? What do we call Jeremiah in the Bible? What is he? Trivia question. Pastor Gary Smith will buy you lunch if you get the question right. That was a joke. He wouldn't do that. It's a joke. He was a prophet. And what did he prophesy? He said, hey, listen, if you continue, listen, people of God, if you continue to turn your back on God, on, on, on God, here's what he's gonna do He's gonna He's gonna discipline you and take you back into a, a, a form of discipline. The Babylonians are gonna roll in, they're gonna take you away for 70 years. But God said this. He said, uh, I know the plans that I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Pretty famous, popular verse. I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. While your life might seem uncertain, God has certain plans for you. So maybe some of your desires today are running in opposition to God's desire for your life. Maybe today you're holding on to unforgiveness. There's somebody in your life, there's a family member, somebody wronged you or wronged one of your family members, and you have so much anger and unforgiveness in your life. Your desire, quite honestly, is a desire for revenge. You want to take that person out. Like if somebody could get into your mind, they would see some of the most grotesque things because you'd think, oh, man. And what God is saying to you today is, I want you to forgive that person. But God, I don't feel like forgiving them. Guess what, friends? Forgiveness isn't a feeling. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He did it because he submitted himself to the desire and the plan of God such that he became obedient. And what did God do? God placed a joy that was in front of Jesus because after he hung on the cross, Jesus came back to life and experienced the power of his father. Question, what are you missing out on? What joy are you missing out on by hanging on to the desire of revenge? Maybe you're here today and say, man, you know what? I know that God is calling me to a life of freedom, but I'm struggling like there's something in my life that I'm holding on to. Maybe you're battling, you're struggling. Maybe you're suffering from addiction, whether it's gambling or food or sex or shopping or or alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. You say, whoa, whoa, second, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang hang on. I have a little problem with that. It's just a little problem. And maybe for some of you, it is a little problem. But maybe for others of you, if you were quite honest, you know that whatever it is has a control. It grips you, and you can't stop it. If you strip away the denial, you know what that's called? That's called an addiction. And you need help. You need to be released from that. You need to find hope and healing, and God can do that in and through your life he can begin to set you free now here's the thing that i love the most about the verse that i just quoted to you jeremiah 29:11 for i know the plans that i have for you do you know this is so interesting when jeremiah under the inspiration of god when he shared those words with the nation of israel do you know where they were located They weren't back in Jerusalem rebuilding. They didn't have all of the people, the stonemasons and the priests and, and the concrete people and the plumbers. They weren't like putting the foundation together. They, they, they didn't have all the treasures that Cyrus had pulled out of the temple. They didn't have all the money. Everything wasn't perfect. Not, that was not the location when Jeremiah 29 11 was given to the people of God. Jeremiah 29 11 was given to the people of God when they were in darkness and in captivity. They were actually in Babylon. They were a captive people, and God said to them, For I know the plans that I have for you. See, the hope to know God's best and experience His love is to know that right where you are is where God wants to whisper to you and say, I know the plans that I have for you. Maybe you're here today and you are totally broken. Financially, it's a wreck. Your family is a wreck. You have a health scare. Like you just got the report and you're thinking, oh my word, what am I going to do? Or you're grieving because you lost a loved one. Or you're battling something. Or you feel like there's a lack of purpose in your life. Or there's deep bitterness and resentment. Or there's a sense that I'm in bondage. I want you to know That what God is saying to you is, I know the plans that I have for you. So we wrap up today. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want us to pray together. Maybe you're here today and you know that God is speaking to your heart, to your life. You're building something. And I'm so excited to see what God is going to build in your life personally. You say, Adam, man, I'm a guest. I don't even, you know, Ezra, I don't even know where the book of Ezra is. Didn't even know it was in the Bible. Hearing you talk about this, and I'm like, hey, that's cool. But I'm not sure what God wants to rebuild in my life. Then maybe you can ask this question, what's broken in my life? Because chances are whatever's broken, God wants to rebuild. He wants a new beginning, a new build. You can go back online, mobile app, YouTube, whatever. Pick up the last couple of messages. Get caught up. Begin to dive into the content of God's word. Begin to ask yourself that question. Okay, I want to identify this is what needs to be rebuilt. As a church, we're praying that God is going to rebuild some things in our church. He's going to renew some hearts. He's going to have every single person take a step of growth. Servant leaders are going to be raised up. We're believing that there's going to be healing across our congregation in all forms, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical healing. We believe that our God is a healing God. We're just trusting as a church. God wants to do a fresh work, a new rebuild, and we're excited. We're faith-filled people, courageous And maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, Adam, that all sounds well and good. My, my life is in rubble. Been devastated. My faith, yeah, quite honestly, my faith was a childhood faith. And when I grew up, I left it behind. It was, a, it was a Sunday school faith. It was pretty flimsy. I was taught it, but I left it because I never really had it. It was passed down, but I never made it my own. Or maybe you grew up in a house that was pretty agnostic. You grew up in a house that was anti-God. Maybe you never heard the clear teaching of God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is simple. God wants to be in relationship with you. He loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay a debt, an amount that you couldn't pay to God to make you right with God. What he did on the cross, he sent his one and only son to die for you. Why? So that you could transfer your trust, whatever you've been trusting in, your beauty, your bank account, your career, your own strength, your self-reliance, whatever, your pride, whatever it is, you've been, you transfer your trust from that to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your grace so I can be in a relationship with you. So if you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, a trusting relationship, a friendship with God, you're watching online, you want to make that decision, you can just type in, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm saying yes. If you're in the room, though, and you want to signal to me, with all the heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and say, hey, Adam, I just want you to know that I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I need him to rebuild my life. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you would just raise your hand in this moment, I want to acknowledge you. Who in the room? Yes, you, yes, 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 yes. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for a courageous step. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. Oh now as a church family, can we just support every individual who's online, people who are in the room and then just say, "Yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father. Let's pray out loud together, full voice. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for every individual who's here today. Especially the people who are reaching out to you. They need something. They need faith. They need hope. They need grace. Thank you for being a gracious God. Not mean, not ugly, not trying to harm us or hurt us. You just want to love us and forgive us and rebuild our lives. So forgive us of our sin. Come into our hearts, change us. We receive you by faith, your gift of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name, the strong son of God. Everyone who agreed this first said amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those individuals today? Yeah, praise God.